Hello everyone, welcome to We Want More. This is an analysis podcast of Eliezer Yudkowsky's work, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Those of you who listened to the prequel episode will know that our audio quality for the first two is, to put it gently, kind of crap. Um, We went ahead and bought two mics, one that we tried for the first two before I had a chance to go through and try editing it, and I learned that (laughs) it is basically unsalvageable. So we invested in new mics that are six or seven times the cost of the originals, and this is what the new mics sound like. Uh, The audio for the first and second episodes will be a little rough. There's popping and some like hissing artifacts that were impossible to remove. However, this is what the podcast will sound like going from episode three onward. I just wanted to give that little forward, and with no further ado, let's get started. All right. Well, uh, welcome to We Want More, the podcast where I, Stephen Zuber, am going to be discussing and going through the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fan fiction with uh, Brian. Do you want to go by your full name? What do you prefer? Uh, we can go by my full name, Brian Deacon. Hello, okay. everybody. Hey, Brian Deacon. So, yeah. You um, probably don't have to go by the full name all the time, though. No, I was, yeah, we're having fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, this is sort of a, a work to emulate the project that uh, Matt Freeman and Scott Daly did with We've Got Worm, where they went through a, a serial fiction. One guest had read it, the other one hadn't, and just sort of a kind of a re-exploration of what it's like to go through this work with somebody who hasn't read it before, guided by someone who has. So I'm the guy who has, and Brian's the one who hasn't. That's true. Cool. Anything else about yourself you'd like to add for our inaugural episode? Um, no, probably just that we're both computer nerds. Yeah, that's true. Which will be shocking to the rest of the perceived audience for this. But... Yeah, we're definitely not the tar- target <laughs> demographic for a science-heavy Harry Potter fan fiction. Yes. I know, it's a, it's a stretch. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. Um, despite being computer nerds, we had 40 minutes of technical difficulties getting going. But that's why we practice. So. But for lesser nerds, it would have been two hours. That's right. So I figured we'd start a little bit about the book itself before we dive into the chapters. Um, so, yeah, broad strokes. It was written by AI researcher Eliezer Yudkowsky. Um, with the goal of getting people excited about rationality and the end goal of being able to sow the seeds of rationality in people and get more donors for the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, which is a mouthful, so they shorthand it for MIRI. Um, I think back then it was called the Singularity Institute, which he founded when he was like 21 or 22 or something. And I think also for fun, um, according to the author, he was just happened to be reading a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction at the time, and the idea for this just came into his head, so he started working on it. Um, he'd written some other short stories in the past, but this was by a mile the longest thing he's ever written. So, uh, the, the longest what story does, he's ever what written. Does, what does Mary do? I didn't um, look much into it. Yeah, they, their, their basic thing is, um, trying to solve in a mathematical way the problem of, uh, machine friendliness, which, or I guess AI friendliness, which is a term that Yudkowsky helped to find. So... That's essentially making sure that the goals stay consistent through recursive self-improvement. So, like, you write an AI that can rewrite its own source code and make itself better, but how do you keep its initial values stable throughout that self-modification? Um, mm-hmm. It turns out that even mathematically that's an unsolved problem. 
and I guess in addition to that, they do um, they work with groups like the uh, um, Center for Applied Rationality to get more people into this sort of um, mental space that maybe might be interested and able to help address the issue. But basically, their thing is, hey, we think that uh, friendly artificial intelligence is like one of the most, if or actually the most important goal humanity can be working on right now. So uh, that's what are they're they kind of more. Are they kind of more like think takey, or are they somebody like handing them a bunch of money and say, "Hi, go make me a self-driving car." Uh, they they are funded. Um, they used to do. Well, I think they still take donations, but they eventually what would have been a couple years ago. Um, one of their early investors like made it huge on the crypto market and funded them solidly for the next few years. So, um, yeah, they're not getting money from like the government or anything. Uh, it's been all private donations, but it's a lot, it sounds like it's a lot more theoretical than. Yeah. Um, they do publish what they do in like monthly newsletters, but frankly, I I get them, but I don't read them because it's a bit over my head, but I still receive the emails. So we'll throw a note into their stuff here in the author or in the episode notes. But yeah, back that's kind of that's kind of cool background to, to what they're going to start talking about, like how he thinks about thinking. Yeah, totally. And I I think going into a little bit of background on like who the author is is important because while the character of Harry in this isn't like just a mouthpiece for him, it's clearly supposed to kind of be him. Yeah. Um, so I I hope Eliezer wasn't this insufferable as an eleven year old, but. Um, <laughs> but I think the idea is that. that the, uh, the goal is for, um, yeah, the, the series of blogs that Eliezer or the series of posts that he wrote before this was called the sequences on a blog called lesswrong.com, which was also his pen name for fanfiction.net. And essentially Harry has read the sequences, um, which is about, I think, the length of the, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and blog posts that he wrote like one a day for two years. Um, wow. So that's where Harry's, when he talks about the methods of rationality, um, that's what Harry's talking about. Uh, so that's that's the author, I guess. Um, the author also has a, a, a philosophy on fan fiction, which is you can't make Frodo a Jedi without giving Sauron a Death Star, um, which I like. Basically, you can't level up the protagonist if you don't level up the antagonist to keep things interesting. I mean, Both if Frodo, of those would be really cool, though. It, it would be. That movie. It'd be cool, but it'd be short, right? Frodo Skywalker. He would just walk in there, you know. These aren't the hobbits you're looking for. Everybody walk past <laughs> and throw it in, throw it in the mountain, right? Um, so that's that's. It would be a fun short story, but it wouldn't be a fun book. Um, but yeah, so there's, the other, I guess there's four quick bullet points for the background, which are at the top of the book in the first chapter um, of what the story is. I don't know if they're worth all going into but um i guess real quick since no one's stopping me um <laughs> in the author's words uh this is not a strict single point of departure fic there are there exists a primary point of departure at some point in the past but also other alterations the best term i've heard for this fic is parallel universe um i don't read a lot of fan fiction um i've probably read more fan fiction of harry potter and the methods of rationality than i have of all other fan fiction put together so I was thinking it about is. it. I, th- I think this may be my first piece of fan fiction to read. Nice. Although that's kind of an amorphous description, but um, yeah, I, I think, I think it, it might set the bar high. I've I've skimmed other stuff, uh, 
vaguely. Um, but yeah, it's, I read this cause it's more like a, like its own, you know, separate book rather than, I don't know, I guess I'm not really sure what fan fiction classify. I guess I know exactly what it classifies as is, but I don't read a lot of it. So, yeah. um, all right, more, more setup. We've got from the author again, the text contains many clues, obvious clues, not so obvious clues, truly obscure hints, which I was shocked to see some readers successfully decode and massive evidence left out in plain sight. This is a rationalist story. The mysteries are solvable and are meant to be solved. I hadn't thought of it. I read that at first, but it hadn't really sunk in until I went back and read that again. I'm like, oh, there's like a thing to find out. Or things. Like going right, yeah, things. So that'll, now that I got that on my brain. Yeah, it's nice. It, you know, and I, I've read, you know, plenty of fiction where some stuff just isn't answered. And, you know, that's not to say, spoiling or not, that this story answers every question that comes up ever. But if it's supposed to have been thought out in a way that if you apply everything that you learn throughout going or going throughout the book that you can hopefully solve the majority of all the puzzles that are there. So, and so the big, the big reveal is that Harry is a Jedi. Obviously. <laughs> well, now we can just skip it. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. You figured it out. Uh, this one's also important. All the science mentioned is real science, but p- please keep in mind that beyond the realm of science, the views of the characters may not be those of the author. Not everything the protagonist does is a lesson in wisdom, and advice offered by darker characters may be untrustworthy or dangerously double-edged. So, that's the precursor stuff. Um, yeah, so where do you want to get started? Uh, start at the start. Cool. Yeah. Story um, opens up in Harry's house. Um, you know, and this kind of sets the stage. It talks about there's bookshelves everywhere and a million different kinds of books. Um, it sets up that his parents... Uh, Professor Michael Varis Evans and his wife, uh, Mrs. Petunia Evans Varis. So not like Dursley. Yeah. Did, did the name remind you of uh, what's the the girl from uh, Big Bang Theory? Uh, With her way too long name, something Farrah Fowler or something something. That's what it reminded me of. Oh, it sounds kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that show, but I know yeah. what you're talking about. Um, the the female Sheldon character. Yeah. 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 Um, I was wondering if that was on purpose. <laughs> it's 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 a charmingly silly sounding name. Yeah, I'm not sure where it came from. It doesn't sound like Yudkowsky either, so who knows? I, oh, you know what? Evans, I guess, is Lily Evans. So I guess Varys is the is Professor yeah, Michael Varys. Yeah. In any case, um, it sets it up right away. Hey, these aren't the Dursleys. There's books everywhere. He's clearly a well taken care of kid. Um, you know, dad's an Oxford professor. Mom loves him. So this this is set up from the first few paragraphs as a strict departure. So yeah, and I like kind of like when she was uh, describing how she met uh, Vernon Dursley in college, I think, or something, and it was sort of like calling back to like the the universe that we know from the books, and it was almost like you're waving goodbye to it, where like oh look that whole life she would have had if she'd gone out with Vernon, and now she's like this other person who is actually seems like a way nicer person. Yeah, it sure, sure <laughs> seems like it. Vernon Dursley was kind of an asshole. I read the books. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we should talk about, very briefly at least, our, our background of the books. I uh-huh. happened to read book 11 when I was, or book one when I was 11 years old. So I was growing up the same age as the protagonist. Um, and so I got to read them, you know, young adult fiction as a young adult. And uh, so I, I read them multiple times as a kid. I loved them. I have very fond memories of them. That said, this sort of has usurped a lot of my like uh, trivia in my memory of, of the original books 
So for the most part, I'm like, how did this happen? And I I, I pull like a, me- a memory from Methods of Rationality rather than uh, from the canon books. Are they all, are they all like muddled together in your brain? Yeah, like for the most part, like it it depends on the thing in particular. But I was at a trivia night a couple like a month or two ago for a Harry Potter trivia at, at a bar, and um, I told the guy that invited me, I was like, sure, but most of my memory from the books has been been overwritten by this fan fiction. So <laughs> if you still want me to go, but I think we did okay. Um, we would yeah, have done better me, if they it's... didn't have a round on the uh, the cursed child. So <laughs> I just. Um because I'm a lot older than you. I uh, read the first one until like my 20s. Um, but the, and I, I had not read the, the whole series until a little while ago. I'd started reading, uh, after I read my daughter all of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, um, and then we had to move on from there, and Tolkien wasn't writing anything more. Um, so we started reading Harry Potter, and it was actually the first, it was the, I, I still have a video of the first page of any book she ever read was, uh, the Boy Who Lived was that first page. Nice. Um, but so, I think over a period of about five years, because uh, it takes a long time to get through, I think we counted, it's like a million words, um, that we just, about three or four months ago, we finished um, Deathly Hollows uh, reading out loud. So I have read the entirety of Harry Potter out loud to my daughter. And just recently, um, too. And just recently, yeah. So it took a really, a really long time. Nice. And you um, said it was about a million words. And I happened to come across yeah. today that the sum of this story is about 660-something thousand words. So, It's yeah. um, a pretty good stab at it. We'll save some time and not read the whole thing out loud. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, uh, there's a, a letter from Hogwarts on the table that his parents are arguing over. And, you know, Petunia's like, you know, no, seriously, Michael, this is a real thing. And he's like, oh, please, you know, wizards aren't real. You know, why are you being this, this absurd? Come on. You know, I've met your, I've met your sister and her husband. They, they, they weren't, you know, magic. What the hell? Yeah. So Harry's overhearing this from his, it opens with him in the cupboard under the stairs, which instead of being his prison slash bedroom, it's his little, it's a reading nook that he has. So. Oh, is that what the, I didn't pick up on that. Is that like the, oh, there's, books on every single wall is that that's his little cubby under the stairs i think that's a living room too i think it's it's got to be in there somewhere yeah i'm skimming through but i'm not seeing it i didn't pull that quote out but i'm pretty sure he's in the cupboard under the stairs so harry's overhearing his parents arguing and i guess what gets annoyed and steps in so that's where you pulled out your first quote here yeah my first yeah i was here i'll go ahead and read it so they start arguing and harry just kind of blurts in it's sort of like hey mom dad don't fight and he says because he's british he says mom Harry said, if you want to win this argument with Dad, look in chapter two of the first book of the Feynman Lectures on Physics. There's a quote there about how philosophers say a great deal about what science absolutely requires, and it is all wrong, because the only rule in science is that the final arbiter is observation. Um, which I, I have diverging opinions on that. The, the first one is like, oh, okay, this is total like nerd book. Uh, so it's sort of like in, immediately like setting the expectations of like where are we going with like the rationality thing and how are we going to treat magic in here? Um, and I like and I think I think it is this kind of this paragraph where you first get the idea that like oh we're flipping it upside down like like the rational thing to believe in here is magic because that's the thing that's going to end up being true and refusing to believe in magic is just sticking your uh, fingers in your ears and trying to ignore it. So I like I like that, and that's sort of like you can tell like that's setting up the premise for 
for all of this. On the other hand, I'm like, oh, are we going to like be listening to, I don't, how old was Harry, 11? A yeah. Ten or ten, are we going to listen to a 10 or 11-year-old kid you speaking like a thesaurus? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, so, so we'll see. So it was kind of both. I'm like, oh, this could, this could get old real quick. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's easy to be frightened off by that because, like, yeah, the author is constrained by the fact that he wanted to start the book where the books start. So he's, he's 11, yeah. but, but I mean, he like, doesn't want to write yeah. an 11-year-old. So Yeah. Um, well, and also it's sort of like it's like a little nerd call out and just sort of a nice, like, you know, Harry Potter mentions the Feynman lectures. It yeah. It's both like, A, hi, this is not the, you know, the muggle slash Hogwarts world that you remember. Um, and sort of like making these sort of really explicit call-outs to the things that, you know, us nerds would find neat and interesting. So, so it was like, I both really liked it. I'm like, oh God, I hope we don't keep this up. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes it clear right away that he's scientifically literate, um, more so than certainly the average kid, but you know, even the average adult. Um, I guess it's clear here that his mom hasn't read the Feynman lectures. Uh, <laughs> and so it, I think the quote is kind of ambiguous. Um, so he's not, he's not saying Feynman was wrong. He's saying Feynman said that philosophers were wrong. Um, cause Feynman would say, no man, it's not about all that philosophy mumbo jumbo, yeah. just do an experiment. So he's not, at least he's not being so pretentious here as to say that he's correcting Richard Feynman. <laughs> But he, but yeah, he's he's not the kind of person who would you know see somebody come in and levitate somebody and be like, well, magic's still not real, man. Um, he's like, no, we'll we'll design an experiment, we'll accept the results. So, but that happens later. Um, so, basically. Oh yeah, and it did bring up that the other thing I, that that at first occurred to me is um, that one of the things I really like about Harry in the books is that he's this sort of I think meek is the wrong word, but Harry's he's not pretentious and he's not. Uh, he's sort of overwhelmed by everything that happens to him, not in a like give up and give in kind of way, but he's modest. This, yeah, he's modest is a good word, but also like not. It's almost like a not believing his own heroism himself, where he just sort of feels overwhelmed and like everything is too big for him, but he keeps going on anyway, and it's this sort of sweet like like vulnerability to him that that I'm hoping like this sort of, you know, quoting the Feynman lectures and, you know, that kind of stuff that I, that I hope being sort of pedantic with people doesn't sort of spoil that, that part of what, what you like about Harry. Cause you can't sort of be like this, you know, humble, um, just trying to do the best you can kind of guy and also tell people like what the right way to have an argument is. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, he's, he's definitely a different character entirely. Um, I think this Harry we'll see doesn't so much fall into that kind of mentality of, I don't know, um, mediocre doesn't sound like a fair word, but it sounds kind of appropriate for Canon Harry. Cause like, you know, I, this was the kid, you know, who would get bored in magic class and, you know, reading magic books and, mm. you know, no annoyed to do his homework and stuff. Even after learning that he's been saddled with the responsibility of, you know, saving the country from the darkest wizard ever to dark wizard, um, so this Harry is, has read a lot of fantasy books, right? So he, I think he's, he's like, well, I'm not going to play that character. And it, you know, that's essentially what he's, what his, what we can kind of imagine would be going on in his head. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll have to see where he goes. Um, it's also worth pointing out too, that like the first, I think the, the story is said to hit its stride by like chapter five, which is what we're going to go through here today. Um, and then basically, uh, 
that's sort of the tone it keeps for the rest of the series. The first four, I think, is still the author kind of finding his, his footing. Um, yeah, some of yeah, Harry's... And we'll get to it, but yeah, I really like how we end on with five. Yeah, yeah five's good. I really, I really like the way it went, so... Yeah, it's it, good it, to hear, like, that's kind of the strategy. It's like, that's, it ended, those five chapters ended really well. I'm like, oh, I'm liking this, so... Yeah, good, because, I mean, his his Harryisms and his, his lecturing, you know, there are some parts where he goes on and you know, will describe at length a science thing that happened, you know, or a study that he read or something, but it, it feels like something that he would say. Um, and it, it's, I guess we'll see what, what you're reading yeah, on. I guess, yeah, we we'll, get there. And we'll, yeah. And we'll get, I mean, even stuff that we're going to get to today, like on, on the other hand, some of this stuff totally works. So like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm of both minds on it. So cool. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, yeah. Oh, but I did want to say, so we have the, there's the, so Harry says, okay, we have to set up this experiment and we're going to find out if magic is real. And then he goes out and he, you know, he's carrying that letter just up in the air and he's just shouting like a crazy person in his backyard <laughs> saying, hey, please some wizard drop out of the sky and take this letter for me. And then, and you're almost kind of expecting like, oh, is something weird like that going to happen? Or is an owl going to swoop in to take his letter? But then it's just there, his neighbor, Mrs. Fig. And if I'm remembering right, Mrs. Fig is, a, is an actual character from the original books too, isn't she? Right, she's she was like a little, plant by Dumbledore who yeah, was a squib. She was a squib, um, that's right. Yeah, she's a squib that, that lived next door. So, like, she shows up, like, on the other side of the fence, and and she says, okay, well, I'll just take the letter for, like, oh, you don't have an owl that was foolish of them to, you know, send you the, stand, quote, standard letter, um, expect you to send it back in an owl. And she says, you know, just leave it to me, dear, said Mrs. Fig, and in a jiffy or two, I'll have someone over. Um, and, and that's how that first chapter ends. And at least for me, it made me think like, oh, now Harry told, like Harry's going to go back and say, well, no, no, Al came up, but Mrs. Fig, she's going to take it to the wizard. So wizards are totally real. Um, where it just made it sound like, oh, this is exactly like some like, like sure she did kind of way it ends. And it sounded like that was like very much done on purpose that like, oh, yeah. this is ending with Harry having this like totally unsatisfying resolution to his little experiment of, Let's see if an owl shows up. And not just for him, but for him having to go back in and explain to his his uh, skeptical dad that, like, nah, you know that, that woman who's babysat me? Yeah, she seemed to know what I was talking she's about. She's a and wizard. Took this I swear. No, she's a wizard. <laughs> oh, sure, she's a wizard. And Oh, and she took your letter back to the Hogwarts wizards, did she? Yeah. And now this crazy one, I guess this is a good you know, segue into chapter two. What I, I, what I liked about that, like, that's the ending of chapter one, and then we open in chapter two, and we just completely skip any of that, and it just goes directly to, and now McGonagall's standing in their living room, and she's about to levitate them. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, don't, don't worry. It's like, don't worry about it. This whole, like, weird, ooh, are they real? Are they not real? Are we going to be able to convince anybody? Like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> so you liked that it kind of just skipped, like, the whole chapter filler where they... Yeah, it was, yeah, it was almost like it cut to commercial, and it comes immediately back to, yeah, don't worry about it. Perfect. Yeah. So, so. And it felt like that was on purpose too. It's like the sudden jar of like, oh, this looks like a total scam to no, don't worry. It totally works out. Yeah. It could have dragged that out for a while, which it, it, it does feel in a way rewarding that it didn't. Um, yeah. Certainly if it went on for like five chapters of waiting for a reply, that would have been, I don't know what the top filler would have been like. So luckily it didn't. And it skips straight to, uh, you know, nice Scottish witch who will never not look like uh, Maggie Smith in my Maggie head Smith. to me. So I know and uh, sound like Maggie Smith. Yes, <laughs> that's I've, that's the one thing I I want to say. But like he did a really good job, especially with with McGonagall. Of like she totally sounds the way both from the book and the movie, where you just you practically hear it the way he does the dialogue with her. Not just like the words and stuff, but just the way she responds to Harry. I think that's one of the things he does really well. 
yeah, he's he. I think he definitely based his McGonagall off the movies. Yeah. Um, so they've already apparently established the preconditions for the scientific experiment they want to run. And Harry says, hey, just to be clear, Dad, if she levitates you and you know you're not attached to any wires, that's sufficient evidence. Fair? All right, that sounds fair. And um, even this this early on, he's still got this, like, funny level of, like, scientific paranoia. And she's yeah. like, all right, is that sufficient, Mr. Potter? Shall I go ahead and demonstrate? And he's like, yes. sufficient? Sure. Probably not. Probably not, yeah. But, yeah, I, I like, and this was another one where like where it works. It's like it's sort of this intentional like you know clashing of we're about to do a magical spell to also oh let's treat this scientifically like like that's sort of charming the way those get thrown together. Yeah, and you know like in the in the regular version, Harry has they've observed magic. You know, a million letters flying through a chimney, and then like a fucking giant knocks the door down and tells him he's a wizard. So it's not unreasonable for him and he and he had had magic stuff happen to him like the vanishing glass with dudley right so he in the canon version i think is ready to accept all right yeah wizard stuff that makes sense with this one he's he's not ready i guess to just have her come in and tell him like that wouldn't work even though it talks about in the first chapter he has this bizarre sense of certainty like he should he's like i should have been on my dad's side this whole time and yet for whatever reason, I feel like this makes sense. So, but that wasn't enough for him. He wanted to have a, an experiment, and they did it. And uh, she says, "When Guardian Leviosa, Dad floats and uh, says hot." Yeah, this doesn't work well as to read it out loud. Like, but it, it's it's such a. I, I really liked how she. So she's like, "Okay, are we going to prove it?" And Harry's like, "Okay, go." And she does with Guardian Leviosa, and like Harry looked at his father, and huh, Harry said, and his father said. <laughs> Huh. And then it was like it doesn't it doesn't work well to like quote it, but it was such a cool like okay now everybody has realized that magic is real and the grand you know resolution to that is they go huh yeah that, that, <laughs> so that was really weird, funny right? it was really well done and then like, ah, who'd have thought <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then Harry expresses like that feels sort of unfairly anticlimactic like yeah you know I I feel like and he he puts it in his nerdy way of I feel like there should be some more intense events with, you know, updating on a observation of infinitesimal probability. Um, and he's like, well, finding out everything I believe is false. Because uh, he's, again, already a scientifically literate person. So he's like, wait, so you just did that. I don't see, like, energy coming from anywhere. He's not tied to anything. I guess physics is wrong, huh? And he, But he, he's like, that should be more intense. And um, McGonagall offers another demonstration and he's like yeah go for it and she turns into a cat and he freaks the fuck out and crashes when he's scrambling backwards and i'll say this is a cussing podcast that's good yeah by all means i'm good at the cussing podcast (laughs) um yeah well mark it as explicit i guess uh i don't think i don't know if the the book probably swears i'm sure i don't know um in any case uh (laughs) this this leads to i mean you i think you pulled up part of this quote too um yeah, where he's freaking yeah, he out says, over uh, her turning into a cat. Yeah, you violated conservation of energy. He didn't even say the conservation. In caps, capital C, conservation of capital E, energy. That's not just an arbitrary rule. It's implied by the form of quantum Hamiltonian. Rejecting it destroys unitarity, and then you get FTL signaling something, something. Yeah, it was, it was too much. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I added that I, I feel like that's probably my pick for like the worst soundbite in the whole book. Um like on a first read, it makes the author seem like he's just making up science mumbo jumbo, which I don't think those things are. Um, I recognize at least half of them, sure. except for quantum Hamiltonian. What the um, yeah? But I think that was on purpose. Yeah, and so it. Yeah. I I think it's like, um, 
the the more charitable read, and this this is another callback to uh, the guys who make who who did the podcast. We've got Worm and are doing We've Got Ward. Um, like sort of just treat the author as a genius who knows what they're doing until you've read the entire work and then can assess it as a whole. I, I feel like that's a good charitable lens through which to view something, especially you know if you're going into it on a good faith recommendation that you know the the author here isn't just flexing. I know science stuff. Um, it's showing that I guess. A, Harry does know science stuff, and like B, he's freaking out and is trying to convey, like in his panic of freaking out, that he's not just freaking out because he saw someone turn into a cat, he's explaining why that's freaked him out, and he's using all the appropriate science jargon to explain why that should be impossible, and he's like, you can't just do that, and she explains that, you know, it's, it's, it's easy, it's just transfiguration, like it's no big deal, because to her it's not, but he's like, you know, how, how can you turn in, or the, the, she's like you'd, you'd have to be a god because <laughs> yeah. um, yeah she's like well, nobody's just, called me that before yeah it's like you're not just doesn't she say in here somewhere it's like well how does that work and she says well magic like, <laughs> he's like that's just a word <laughs> <laughs> yeah so magic to him isn't a sufficient explanation for any of this which i actually really like because if it's i mean you're you're, you're running into it with the like the background philosophy of I don't know. A lot of books just have like magic being, oh yeah, magic is a thing and magic just does magic. Um he's he's like, okay, yeah, sure, magic's a thing, but like it has to it's working somehow. What the hell is it doing? Yeah. Um I kind of like though like that's kind of the point though is that she says well magic and but magic like magic is a thing, not even in the sense of like oh don't worry, we're going to wave our hands. Like the fictional plot sense of waving our hands, don't worry about it. It's not that. It's like, no, magic is a thing, and we're going to be explaining to you what that means from now on. Um, where it's, yes, it's real, and it's a thing, and we're about to show you. Yeah, or at least we, as in maybe the book. I don't think McGonagall doesn't seem, at least at this point, like she's ex- like she's about to explain, like, we know how magic works and what it's doing. Um, she just, I think, I think she does just take it as sort of a prior of her upbringing. Um, she, she doesn't see anything weird about it. Like, it's just part of being around just oh yeah you wave your wand you make these noises and people float um yeah i guess i didn't i didn't get the impression though that it was like oh magic and you're not meant to understand it it was more like yes no this is real and you will understand not that they were about to explain it all then and there but like yes this is a thing that can be understood you know like any other real thing okay cool um i can take I, i can follow that reading yeah um so then yeah then he asks, he's in his sort of like post freak out rant. He's like, who, you know, who invents the words to these spells? Nursery yeah. schoolers? Like, why is, why is it when Guardium Leviosa? Leviosa. <laughs> I like, yeah, I both like, like when she first said it, it was like this, you know, like you're like, oh yes, I remember these words and like all the things we remember about. It's not when Guardium Leviosa, it's when Guardium Leviosa. You know, all those things that we remember from the movies and the books. So, like, you're remembering that. But it's also sort of acknowledging, like, yeah, those are, like, two really stupid words. Um, <laughs> and that, like, that's okay. Like, those are the things that we love about the books. Um, and also sort of, I think at least for, for me, it was sort of acknowledging that, that the guy who wrote this is also a huge fan of Harry Potter. as kind of a way for us to kind of, like, just share those silly little things. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess you don't go on and write a 600,000-word Harry Potter fanfic if you don't like the, the source material. Uh, Julia Galef, who used to be president of uh, the Center for Applied Rationality, which works with Miri, um, she wrote like a short 
kind of like blurb about methods of rationality. And the one sentence that always struck with me is that Yudkowsky takes Rowling's world more seriously than she does. Like she, she built the foundation yeah. and then Yudkowsky is kind of like building on top of it and not willing just to use standard tropes and kind of run with the intuitive things. So, um, uh, that's mostly it for chapter two. Oh, except for he mentioned his, 20, sleep, yes, his sleep, sleep cycle. Pattern. Yeah, um, which yeah, for at least for me, that was I think like the first thing I read in here. Like, oh, there are things to remember, because I think because it was so weirdly specific. I think we gotta give background to people that are uh, listening to this, where he says, you know, Harry has problems in school um, because you know he can never sleep. He has he's homeschooled, right? Is that what it says? Um, homeschooled and, uh, yeah. his dad's teach, um, Oxford tutors, uh, come, t- come uh, yeah. tutor him. Um, but yeah, but so it's just like the, one of the big reasons he can't be in school is because he doesn't sleep 24, every 24 hours, he sleeps every 26 hours. And so, you know, he's, you know, constantly off right. uh, the time. And I think it's, it mentions something about 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, two o'clock. Um, so yeah, it was both odd and also like, oh, we're being awfully specific about that so you can tell this is this is going to come up later sounds Um, important yeah yeah and so yeah i think you do get credit for noticing that um he also bit a math teacher because she didn't know what a logarithm was and that infuriated him so (laughs) um but he was seven so what seven-year-old didn't bite an adult uh sure (laughs) uh, we all did right so yeah the there's a fun i guess it's bit of random meta knowledge about it the author apparently has like a 24-hour and 15-minute circadian rhythm which is a lot less severe than 26 hours, but you got to think after a couple of weeks, you're off by, what, two and a half hours? Um, So a lot of his blog posts are at like two in the morning, and I think he manages that now. But I also know that the author didn't finish high school. Um, So he got bored and probably from whatever, you know, sleep condition that he had, um, finished on his own and, uh, you know, went on to be a still successful uh, AI researcher, so... Yeah, so that was chapter two. Um, you're free to speculate on anything about the 26-hour time cycle. Uh, I'm going I to. Re- I don't know anything more than you could tell that there was going to be important, but it did occur to me. I'm like, wait, is he a Martian? <laughs> and then I said, I actually Google him. No, Mars is only like just a few minutes past 24 hours. So. Oh, that's hilarious. Harry is not a Martian. Oh man, I did, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I go, yeah, Mar- yeah, Mar- the Martian day is like 24 hours and like. 24 and a half hours or something yeah and a soul so that's not it yeah i remember the the time difference from when i read the the book the martian that would have been hilarious and i'm, I'm glad you checked that that, that would have been <laughs> harry is a martian no he's not a martian that would have been a fun twist but yeah i guess we got we need to be tracking a little more like where we are in the plot i'd like so yeah after chapter two it's the like that wraps up like what the first quarter of of goblet of fire where um or no sorcerer's stone we're like now and now he's off uh to buy his wizard stuff yeah um, and that's and, yeah so it only takes us two chapters to get to that so yeah so chapter three starts out with mcgonagall has taken him to um to diagon alley yeah i think the author was um, eager to get him into the magic part yeah. of the book as fast as possible um because yeah you're right that was a long way into the sorcerer's stone well I, yeah and i think that's also kind of one of the things maybe about fan fiction is he like we all have read the books and he knows that like you're not reading this unless you've also read the books so there's some stuff like you don't have to do all the build-up to it yeah that's um, a good point this is like, i i don't know anyone who's read this on its own without having at least seen the movies um yeah 
And then this has another time jump. It doesn't show them, you know, scheduling the trip and booking it and whatever. But we know it is close to the end of the summer because McGonagall said that she wouldn't take him to get his stuff until like a week before classes start. Because she was pretty sure that even without a wand, he had burned his house down. Yeah. So a couple months later... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting now that we're talking about it that it's McGonagall that does this with him and not like there's no Hagrid at this point I don't know if we're like there's no Hagrid at all in this universe so far yeah that's a good point because um, um, he did all this with Hagrid in the books yeah I I wonder what the the intention behind that was um, yeah. you know without speculating about anything that I know that you don't it could just be like the fact that Hagrid can't apparate and thus McGonagall could get there faster it, I mean Hagrid's a fun character, I think, in the certainly in the the canon version, like he's your lovable giant oaf who's just good natured and it cares about animals and cares about everybody, but like it is it would be weird to see somebody who's what, ten or eleven feet tall walking down the street and trying to get into your house. So like maybe they just maybe whoever Mrs. Fig contacted yeah. was like, you know what, let's send a, a human-shaped person instead of Hagrid yeah. to... to... It, you know, and it may have just been also that, because I really like these interactions with between Harry and McGonagall. Um, like it may just be that it worked, you know, as a, just as a way to introduce characters. Because like, Harry's sort of like, you know, mouthing off to her constantly, and that's sort of, it's funny... Um, so, I mean, it just, I think it just worked as far as character development, and that maybe that's the only reason why. Yeah, it certainly flows better, because a lot of their, their back and forth here um, is the stern disciplinarian and, you know, uh, the strict teacher, whereas Haggard would kind of just be more easygoing and, I guess, less resistant. And I don't know if easier to bully is the right way to put it, but maybe. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, well, yeah, and then it brought, so it brought into one of the the first things I noticed in this chapter is like, so that as they're walking through it, like Harry's just about to like wander off into a bookshop without even saying anything to her. And he says, because when you walk past a bookshop, you haven't visited before, you have to go in and look around. That's the family rule. And McGonagall says, that is the most Ravenclaw thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and that made me perk out. I'm like, whoa, wait, is this, are we doing that? Like, is he going to be a Raven? I don't know anything yet, but it's like, oh, is he going to be a Ravenclaw instead? Um, and so I thought it was, you know, cool that, okay, we're not following. This isn't going to be the same Harry. Um, and then I think later in this, it's that, like, he starts making friends with Draco. I can't remember if that's this chapter or not. That's but in chapter like, five. But, yeah, it's in this section. Five. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they're still setting a lot of the ground for this is not Harry Potter or Harry James Potter, right? This is yeah. this is a new guy. Um, and, yeah, it's it's interesting. There are divergences throughout the especially the early setup which you know hit me as jarring too because you really affiliate harry with with the virtues of gryffindor and stuff but not necessarily i guess this harry so the other things i guess that happen on their way to buy or i guess go to the bank but before they do that you know they're stopped by people at the bar um you know oh my god it's it's harry potter and harry hadn't you know this is again just like in the the canon version he hadn't yeah been exposed to his celebrity status yet um, but he's of yeah. course he has this funny line that i like where you know it's like harry potter what an honor and harry blinked and then rallied well yes you're quite perceptive most people don't realize that so quickly <laughs> <laughs> um so he he does he get an explanation yet of why that guy I wanted think to that shake his hand happens yeah because that's where one of the other things i pointed out 
in here. Yeah, so McGonagall's explaining to him. I don't know if, if we just get sort of told that, yes, she does explain it to him, but um, because she's explaining to him about, he, I think he asked, like, well, why didn't anybody, you know, stand up? Um, and she's like, yeah, well, everybody thought somebody else was going to do it. And then, um, then Harry goes into his, his whole little thing about the bystander effect. Um, which was again, it was sort of like, okay, we don't need, like that was not relevant to what's happening right now, but I guess we're going to be told. Uh, I, sh I should pull it up, but so, because Harry says, oh, the bystander effect thought Harry, thinking of Latane and Darley's experiment, which had shown that you were not merely likely to get help if you had an epileptic fit in front of one person, then in front of three, diffusion of responsibility, everyone hoping that someone else would go first, which is totally true and totally what was being explained, and I totally didn't need that mansplained to me. <laughs> um, Harry explained By Harry. Harry explained it was, it was another one where it just seemed like, okay, that was too much, like, too much all at once right there. Yeah, um, I, I can totally see that. I think, um, especially the, so like she's explaining that you know there are like fifty people that you know were terrorizing the country, however many Death Eaters there were, yeah. um, and everyone else is afraid to stand up and oppose them. And then he puts it in the context of what he understands. You know, he doesn't know about magic wars. He might not even know that much about Muggle wars. But so he's yeah. thinking, okay, yeah, I remember reading about uh, that experiment where if you have an epileptic fit in front of one person, they'll actually go for help. But if you do it in front of three they don't want to look like they're panicking in front of each other or they're waiting for someone else to do it or whatever, that diffusion of responsibility. So he does do that. Um, and I can totally see how it's off-putting because it, and it, I guess it's also in parentheses in the book. Um, so yeah. it's sort of like in his own head, but as an aside, he's just thinking about, oh yeah, I can contextualize this and the framing with something else I already know about. But it does also set Harry up as somebody who's going to try and relate everything that he's learning about magic and magical Britain to stuff that he understands from his, his history of, uh, not just, you know, math and physics, but also cognitive psychology and stuff. But let's see. Oh, he doesn't get the, does he get the full explanation at this point? Um, I think maybe he's sort of like, we don't oh, sit yeah. through him getting the explanation, but I think it's that he gets, we get told that yes. And now Harry gets the full explanation. No, no, um, it, it does. It talks about how, um, the dark Lord came to Godric's hollow and, uh, you know, they should have, they would have happily died because they were heroes, but they were, they tried to protect you. And, uh, she explains how the killing curse works, where it's formed of pure hate and strikes directly at the soul, severing it from the body and it can't be blocked. And whomever it strikes, they die, but you survived. You're the only person ever to survive. It rebounded and struck the dark Lord, leaving only the burnt hulk of his body and that scar upon your forehead. And that was why people want to shake your hand because you killed him. And so then there's this part where... Somewhere in the back of his mind was a small, small note of confusion, a sense of something wrong about that story. And it should have been a, a part of Harry's arts to notice that tiny note, but he was distracted. For it is a sad rule that whenever you're most in need of your art as a rationalist, that is where you're most likely to forget it. Yeah, and that one stuck out to me too. As like, Well, I guess it was being told that it should stick out to us. It's like, okay, this is something we have to remember, that this is going to be significant later. Yeah, and it's, it is even just from what Harry knows about how, you know, the, the, the one sentence explanation of how he understood about the killing curse works and how all this happened, like there's, so it explains why people want to shake his hand, but it doesn't really explain what happened. Um, there might be other stuff that, you know, he should be noticing and promoting to conscious attention from his small note of confusion, but that's part of it. It's like, that didn't really answer, that answered why people want to shake my hand, but like not what the hell happened. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So feel free to, I think I thought I already gave you my speculation, but feel free to speculate wildly on anything that you yeah, I didn't, be going for there. I did, it didn't make, I, it really just sort of stuck in as, okay, we need to like put a pin in this and remember. So it didn't make me, or at least it wasn't enough information for me to, you know, go on and like wonder, okay, what did that mean? But it was, it was just, okay, we need to remember that there's something, something off about, you know, why did the killing curse not work? Um, so it's just sort of like, oh, okay, remember this. Cool. <laughs> like in the Telltale games where it's like, they yeah. will remember that. Well, yeah, and I said, yeah. it's like, dum-dum-dum, <laughs> or something, something to this later. Yeah. But Oh, but then we get to, then the next part, when we go into chapter four, the, you know, and I, and I keep going off about how the off-putting, like, little, we're going to run off and be pedantic little condescending guy except that we totally do one here where i loved how it worked nice i guess we should we should give the background so like so that chapter four starts with uh with how do you say his name eliezer eliezer where he says like oh we we the uh relative value of galleons to knuts knuts how do you say that but he was saying like oh you know, it's not consistent in the book. How much is a galleon worth? How much is the other things worth? And my first thought was like, oh my God, who cares? <laughs> and because it's just sort of, you know, among the many things that you're just supposed to suspend disbelief about. Um, and so, so yes, on the one hand, that was my reaction to like, oh, let's just stop worrying about these silly little things. But then it goes into as Harry, so we should, you know, say what was happening again. So Harry gets, you know, taken to his vault where he's shown the, you know, piles and piles of Scrooge McDuck coins that are now his. And then there's this part where he's sort of, like, just trying to figure out, like, how does all of this work? Cause, so he's been told, like, okay, all of this silver, all of this gold is yours. And he's asking the guy, uh, he's asking Grip Hook, so is it just because it's silver? Like, if I came in and brought you a pile of silver, is would you turn it into money and that would be fine and i think basically grip hook was saying yeah we might charge you a little bit of money for turning it into money um but basically silver is silver gold is gold um and so then this is the part that i really liked um so harry says so not only is the wizarding economy almost completely decoupled from the muggle economy no one here has ever heard of arbitrage the larger muggle economy had a fluctuating trading range of gold to silver so every time the muggle gold to silver ratio got more than 5% away from the weight of 17 sickles to one galleon, either gold or silver should have drained away from the wizarding economy until it became impossible to maintain the exchange rate. Bring in a ton of silver, change to sickles, and pay 5%, change the sickles for galleons, take the gold to the muggle world, exchange it for more silver than you started with, and repeat. So after me saying all that, I'm like, oh, why are we worrying about the, you know, consistency of, you know, how much is a galleon, how much is a sickle worth? Now Harry's like running through all of this saying like, oh, you could totally scam the system and like you could go get some silver and turn it into money and buy galleons and turn it into gold and take it back. <laughs> like all of that, like, yeah, totally worth it. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, always think so much cool is like, oh yeah, that would be so neat. Yeah. And that's, um, I think what the author's note at the top about the discrepancy of how much galleons and silver are worth yeah. was about was he was like, Hey, so I'm going to just pretend they've been consistent for the point of this book, even though they weren't the regular ones, but whatever. Um, so it yeah. sounds like nitpicking. Well, I like, and it was neat to watch Harry, like, like you're sitting there, you could see like the little gears in his head turning. He's like trying to figure out how could you game the system? Right. I think probably at least, especially for us, like computer nerds, like this is exactly how we would think about it. It's like, Oh wait, if I exchange this much and the other thing, like, Oh, I could like, you know, have a side hustle on just, you know, exchanging money at Gringotts. 
Um, which is like totally, maybe it's because it's supposed to, like, it's a totally silly idea to be having, but it was sort of fun because it was silly. Oh, no, it's hilarious. Um, and he even, yeah. ha- he has that line about, you know, he's like a, a competent hedge, hedge fund. He could probably own the whole wizarding world within a week. Harry yeah. filed away this notion in case he ever ran out of money or out of week free. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's totally fun. I mean, it's, and then, but then we get, we get later, like he's holding like one of these piles of. He's like holding a handful of gold and he's sitting there trying to figure out, okay, if I've got this handful, like he's basically just trying to figure out like how much money am I staring at right now and how am I like a bajillionaire? And it turns out, yes, he is a bajillionaire. Um, But it's another one of those things like he's sitting there holding it and McGonagall says like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, don't bother me. I'm making a Fermi calculation. And that was another one that like made me groan. I'm like, really? Fermi calculation? You could have just said, hang on, I'm trying to figure out how rich I am. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, it actually it's interesting too. He I it never occurs to him to ask Griphook like, "Hey, how much money is in here?" Like maybe Gringox keeps an account. Like it would kind of make sense. I, oh I, yeah, it probably would. I don't know how the I'm how sure. the bank works, but he could have asked. But yeah, well, that so, should have been some like that's sort of should have been like a goblin superpowers that he can just sort of like stare at a pile of gold <laughs> and tell you how much it is. Right. Like that would come in handy. Yeah, I bet. especially be a magic-y thing. if you run the bank of the wizarding Britain, I guess. But yeah, I think so his his vocabulary drop of Fermi calculation is like, you know, is it more of Harry just flexing his Harryisms and, you know, telling us, hey, I'm scientifically literate? Or, like, again, the the other lens to view it through is like, well, he's used to talking to his parents and his tutors from Oxford, so, like, they know what a oh, Fermi calculation is. So, like, And he's had this weird sort of, like, only child upbringing. So he didn't, I just putting that together, his upbringing with with his adopted parents he was an only child in this one there was no like Dudley Dursley was there no and apparently so he's, he's been homeschooled since he was seven so like yeah. he, so he, he doesn't spend a lot of time of, with kids he is the weird homeschooled kid that might talk about you know Fermi calculations I just it would <laughs> I couldn't tell if we were supposed to get the impression like are we supposed to think this is weird because I thought it was weird keep going oh leave me alone I'm doing a Fermi calculation no, I can dig it. Like, I, could, I could put that back in. Like, oh, maybe if he is just supposed to be the, like, weird, off-putting homeschool kid, then, then I, could, I could run with that. Let's see. And I'm, I'm not gonna sure be if the weird, correct either. I'm just, you know, just the, thinking about the it. Off-putting, the off-putting homeschool kid that's going to end up in Ravenclaw. I can run with that. I'll run with that for now. We'll see, we'll see where that goes. Cool. And again, I'm, I'm not, that's just my, my yeah. analysis on this rereading. It's not necessarily yeah. like the one that's handed to us or anything. So yeah, well, um, I mean, it's not even so much like oh, it's got to be a certain way, but it's just that you know it needs to not jar me out of my suspension of disbelief. Like, is this a real character? Um, and then I can run with that. I guess what was what was bothering me about it was that it seemed like oh, suddenly I'm talking to the author now. I'm not like talking to a, I'm not looking at a character. I'm talking to the author, and that like yanks me out of the the story I'm listening to. But you know, I'll try that on. Maybe just Harry is this like weird homeschool kid. I cool. Run with that. We'll no, I mean, that. I, we'll, I'll, try, I'll try that one out. I don't want to tell you how to read it, but that's just uh, that's how I was reading it. No, that's it, working so. for me. We'll see. That, that's why we're doing this project this way because you're taking it fresh. So. Um, the the rest of this chapter is basically him arguing in a really kind of like comedic way with Professor McGonagall about like how he should be allowed to withdraw a very reasonable oh, yeah, fraction I mean, of his money to buy. Yeah, like, and to he's make... basically he's like he's like trying to hustle her. Oh yeah, kind of like that was kind of funny. It's it's hilarious and it's to the point even where one you know in the in the midst of the hustling 
where he's like, no, no, I'm all about reasonable. I want to buy sensible purchases and, you know, like one of those nice trunks that, you know, have, that have uh, room for bookshelves and all my stuff, like, you know, and I should get a nice one because, hey, I don't want to get a shit one that I have to replace in five years, right? So, you know, let's... Yeah. Uh, and let, we let, know... I can't remember. Do we know why? So, and then that turns into like he's trying to get the like the magic purse, basically. This like the Felix the cat bag of tricks that he can drop as much stuff into it as, as he wants to. But do we are we told yet why he's trying to be able to like sneak some money off? No, I mean at this point he he hasn't even yet. He's just he's just yeah. he's talking in complete fairness. Like, hey, I want to just buy you know sensible adult grown up things like uh, you know like that. The, the trunk the pouch because the pouch sounds awesome whether or not you're you're stealing your own gold or not like yeah. i mean i carry a backpack to work it'd certainly be cool to be able to just shove all my stuff in my pocket plus however much else like you know a thermos of hot tea like yeah a spare battery he, like because we do I, I maybe i just don't remember where it broke down in the chapters but somewhere in these in these five chapters we see that like harry is trying to get the magic not just the giant magic trunk but he wants like the little magic what do they call it like a moke bag moke, or something yeah moke I'm, skin i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm not sure what that what that reference is to but but like there's a he's got an ulterior motive that he wants to get this thing and he's using it like he's trying to sneak some extra money into it but i guess we don't get told yet why so it's clear he's got like a specific goal he's heading towards beyond just like oh he wants some extra money but i can't are we told what that is yet no, like in the in the not. order of how it happens, he he actually just wants that pouch because it'd be super cool to have. And then, yeah. um, so w when she acquiesces to letting him have some money, then uh, she let's see when does he freak out? Um, at some point, so it he already wants the pouch, and then he gets startled by. I think her, you know, shooting him this death glare about, you know, oh, you know, why would you play the part of the grumpy grown-up when you could, you know, yeah. just look at look at my childish, innocent face, you know, and I, I want to buy mm -hmm. books. That's the most noble of all possible causes. And then she gives him this scary look, and he squeaks and falls back, and then trips over a pile of gold. And oh yeah, so the moke shop isn't until the yeah, next so he had already chapter. yeah he had already lobbied successfully to get the pouch, but then he falls back into this pile of gold, and. Um, that's when they end up leaving the bank, and then yeah. we learn in the next. It seems chapter. pretty clear though; like he's got some kind of end goal in mind, but I guess we're not told yet what it is. Like it's not—it's not just like trying to steal money for the sake of stealing money. He's got something he wants to do with it. I think. Well, There's so going on for yeah, him. the pouch. I think he was just lobbying for because it's a super cool thing to have. Um, as for why he stole money, you know that you're right. As far as we've read so far, it's, he, there's not an expressed reason why he did that. Um, yeah. Other than maybe, but we know that there's a reason. It's not like we know it's not just greed. Like he's got something in mind. Yeah, so I guess we don't know yet what it is. And he, I think he's my my read of this point so far is he's just like it makes a lot of sense for me to have some extra money. Like who knows, you know that could come in handy. Um, maybe there's something that he saw that he secretly wants to buy or something. But my my read of just the first five chapters on its own is like, you know look at, I've got a mountain of gold here. Can't I just take some with me in case I find something that I want to buy? But, um, yeah. So then they, uh, they leave the bank and, um, when oh, he gets stopped again by somebody going, Oh, are you Harry Potter? Right. And he's like, I, I don't know. Nobody's people said, maybe I'm not, maybe it's all a scam. And, uh, and he's like, no, cause McGonagall says, says you're the Harry Potter and then he says like well she could be in on it too <laughs> like and he's as like you know he doesn't like really believe that but he's just kind of being as smart as I think this is the beginnings and this is kind of what like when you're saying like this is where it finds its stride like if this is the stride it's finding that I'm really liking it because like you're starting to see this like smart ass Harry which is kind of not at all like 
like the Harry from like I started calling him like capital O original Harry like the Harry from the books is not at all this kind of smart ass but this is kind of coming in and it totally works and I like I think I like it both that it seems like it's inherent inherently depart in, intentionally departing from the books and that it's kind of it's taking on its own thing totally. and it works it's just kind of funny it's funny how he's doing it so yeah and it adds another dimension to his departure from the yeah. the original Harry and that not only is he scientifically literate and kind of a smart ass but he's also like clever and funny yeah. so it gives him more dimensions than again just being the smart kid and yeah, yeah not only so then he's like well she could be on it too and he's like no you have your mother's eyes he's like I suppose you could be in on it <laughs> so <laughs> this guy you know he's obviously just fucking with him but um, it's, it's right before their encounter with him that his uh he shoves the like through kind of just putting the bag of gold into his pouch over and over and getting McGonagall bored of it. Then he starts dropping his own coins into the pouch, like one handful yeah. at a time. So he's got an X amount of backup money. I think he said it was like 30 galleons, which I'm not sure what that amounts to in I forget. money. I think that the wand is like six or seven galleons. So however much 30 galleons can buy. Um, Four wands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in wands, but I'm not sure what else, <laughs> what else people buy. Um, I don't, did it say how much like the pouch cost? I think the pouch was like a hundred no, wait, maybe the trunk was 100 galleons. So if we say that like a, you that know, right. and she said those are very expensive. So 30 galleons is a sizable amount of money. We're not sure how much that translates it to in muggle dollars, but I'm guessing in the range of hundreds or thousands maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's that guy. Yeah. Oh, but then that, so that, and that segues into like my last two favorite parts out of this was... So that guy's like, oh, are you the Harry Potter? He goes through that whole thing again. And then after they break away, then he's talking again with McGonagall about, you know, why it's sort of, it's not for the first time, but he's sort of again like, you know, why is everybody treating me like I'm this super important god? Um, And she gives him the whole speech about, you know, you should really try to lighten up. There's people that really care about you. And it was that line. And and so then Harry says, then he goes through like, I wish they didn't care about me. And she asks him why. And he goes through the whole his attribution error speech which is the title of the chapter but he's you know basically saying like they don't they think that that the reason i lived through the killing curses must be just because i am super awesome rather than just that's what happened um and and he starts and he's and this is i think does tie back to the to the original harry potter you know in a way that i like where Harry has always felt kind of overwhelmed by the... Overwhelmed maybe the wrong word. Just not as big as the situation he's in. Harry always felt like, I'm just this kid. And I think that's kind of what the universal appeal for all these kinds of stories is like, we all just sort of feel like we're somebody kind of muddling through the best we can, and Harry's totally that. And that seems to, like, that's kind of what this new Harry um, is also going through. And then the line that I like that he said, um, you know, after saying all that and explaining that to McGonagall, he says, people don't care about me they aren't even paying attention to me. They want to shake hands with a bad explanation. And it's sort of, and I like that. It's sort of like Harry being aware of, like, you know, I am, everybody's trying to make me the main character in a Harry Potter novel, and he's not being that self-aware about it, but he's like, I'm just a guy. Um, I'm not this great meaning that everybody has, has put into me. 
Um, and I kind of like that. Also, and I also like it also in a way that it departed from the original is that it was a little bit darker the way he talked about it. He's like, I wish they didn't care about me. None of this is important. Um, you know, they're assigning all this, you know, significance to me that's not there. And it's kind of a little bit slightly in kind of a nihilist direction. Not, not that it was that much, but it was kind of a little darker than you would see from the original Harry Potter, but it still worked. And it, it also felt really authentic. Like that was something that the, that the author was really trying to so that was that was one of my favorite parts towards the end here nice yeah i like that a lot i think um yeah it is different whereas it's been a while since i've read the sorcerer's stone but if i remember like original harry um i think canon harry is the other phrasing people use I but canon um like he's just kind of like oh wait i'm a wizard oh i'm special I, I, that's good i don't feel special and harry's ex- except for uh methods of rationality harry is he's he's like i don't he's his thing isn't like i don't feel special he's necessarily it's just like they they don't care about me they care about like this thing that happened that i guess i was involved with when i was a baby um yeah and i i think that's uh you're right it, it's a different take it's not saying like well i'm not responsible like it is it's saying that but it's also saying it's like he, he's pointing out kind of like how they're misappropriating their gratitude right yeah they're just and like, he's kind of he's like looking right at it i think in the in the original books harry just it doesn't doesn't speak to it so directly but he's like you know, he's looking right at it. He's like, I am not the guy that they, that they think I am. Nice. Okay, yeah. I like that. I'm, I'm trying, you know, and I'll do that throughout this, trying not to add my thoughts to perceptions like that that you point out. So if, I, if I'm not responding, it's not because I'm not uh, not listening and stuff. I just don't want to, if I agree or disagree, I could I be that, you pointing to, things you have out. To like so. double, you have to double check everything you react to is whether or not you're going to spoil it for me. So Exactly. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, then this goes to the like the funniest part, and I, I read this, and then I, oh, I, I listened to the to the chapters, and then I read them again before in preparation for this, and even just listening to it, I was laughing in the car. It's just it's the funniest exchange ever. So he he gets yeah he gets to um, the robe shop, and um, McGonagall says I'm gonna go get a drink because you're stressing me out. Um, I'm gonna get rid of your obfuscation charm because she'd kind of put this thing you know whatever some sort of. I don't know. Disguise, yeah. Uh, yeah, magic disguise charm on him. Magic disguise on him, and she's like, "I'm gonna get rid of that so that she can measure you properly." And he's like, "Uh, I don't know." And he, she's like, "Look, she's literally unflappable. The Dark Lord himself could walk in here, and she would bat an eye. It's totally fine." And so then, there's this kid standing there next to him, getting measured, you know, with awesome, cool, blonde, white hair. And the kid's like, "Hey, you going to Hogwarts too?" And Harry's like, "Ah, oh, for fuck's sake, I can see where this conversation's going." And then, yeah, then he pulled out this bit, so. Yeah, so so we know it's Draco that he's talking to, but Harry doesn't know who Draco is yet. But so Harry decides to like flip it around and he goes, Good heavens, whispered Harry. It couldn't be. He let his eyes widen. Your name, sir, Draco Malfoy, said Draco Malfoy, looking slightly puzzled. It is you, Draco Malfoy. I, I never thought I'd be so honored, sir. Harry wished he could make tears come out of his eyes. The others usually started crying at around this point. I like that last slide especially. It was like I was around usually people like cry, get all worked up when they when they meet me. Yeah, and this I, is totally like this is different Harry. This is like smart ass Harry. He's not at all like the original Harry, and it was just really funny. Yeah. And and the the humor is doubled by the fact too that that Draco this might be the first you know student that he's encountered since he got to Diagon Alley as well. So like he's like, oh good, yeah, of course, uh, you, you're, of course. yeah, you. This is a perfectly appropriate reaction people to have towards me, and um, you know, by all means, I am pleased to learn that I shall be treated with the due respect due no, the family of Malfoy. As <laughs> you know, as we're talking this through, because I kept, I mean, yeah, he totally acts like the douchebag he always is, or, or 
maybe not quite as like malevolent, but still like somebody who thinks that of course you would suck up to me like that. So all of that, you know, the usual unlikable stuff about Draco, but I still, you know, left this chapter thinking like, oh, are we going to end up like, is he going to end up being friends with Draco? So I'm not quite sure as we're talking it through, I'm like, oh wait, Draco was a total, you know, jerk in this, but um, so I'm wondering what it is. It still seems like, oh, Draco is not going to be the same Draco either. Yeah, it seems like he might be different. It's it's hard. He's certainly wittier than the yeah. the eleven year old Draco from the canon version. But yeah. I mean, like even Harry's like, you know, may may I please once they're done being fitted, uh, you know, be honored with sh- with shaking your hand and like Draco doesn't miss a beat. And he's like, what have you done for the Malfoys that yeah, tells yeah. you such a favor? Well, he just runs it. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're right. And right. then Harry's like, oh, I'm so trying this on the next person who asks to shake my hand. <laughs> I know. Um, I guess it's good, like what's different because in the original, like there, the first time Draco and Harry meet, it's a lot more um, confrontational. And Harry goes because it's the whole like, oh, you don't want to make friends with the wrong kinds of people. And Harry is like, basically says like, well, you are the wrong kinds of people. Yeah. And so it was this like very like posturing kind of kind of thing. But this one was a lot more. It seemed it was a little goofier, but also like you don't end up. At least for me, I like didn't walk out of this hating Draco as much as it did in the in the original book. So. Yeah, same here. It, you know, you, you point out, too, because you're right, in the in the original version, Harry says, like, you're the wrong sorts of people, which reminds me that Harry, is, in the original version, is remarkably well-adjusted for his upbringing. Yeah. He, yeah. he was raised in a closet, and you know, it didn't seem like he had any friends. <laughs> yeah. he, he didn't really go outside, and, um, like, Beaten I... Beaten by I, his abusive older brother. I'm not sure if it's... Yeah, abusive older brother. I'm not sure if it's explicit that... Dirt, that uh, Vernon Dursley abused him too or not, but like if, whether he was hit or not, he was shoved in that closet. So like yeah. it, for him to be like, no, you're an asshole. And I recognize that that was actually a good solid character moment for original Harry. Um, yeah. But then this, this whole exchange culminates in like uh, when God, when Draco realizes that it's Harry Potter and he's, then oh, he, yeah. he turns it on him and he's like, oh my like, God, I'm so you. pleased to meet you. And he's like, oh, shut Harry up. Potter, you know? pleased to meet you. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, oh, pl- you know, can I have your autograph? No, wait, a picture. And he's like, you know, burst into flames and die. And he's like, but you're Harry Potter, the glorious savior of the wizarding world. Everyone's hero. And then his dad walks in and it describes oh, him. Oh yeah. And then Harry like helps him play. Like he helps Draco not get in trouble. Right. Because he goes back to sucking up to him. Yeah. But it was just the funniest thing. And it, it describes uh, Lucius as this, you know, I don't know what is like the character, the, I don't know, this, this super dangerous looking guy. Right. And, um, mm. the quote was like a man to whom killing was not painful or even delicious, deliciously forbidden, but just as routine as breathing. So like this guy walks in and he looks as, you know, calm and collected and scary as the guy from the movies. And then mm. he's like, Draco, what are you saying? And, and Harry, in a, in a moment of sympathetic panic, he forms a rescue plan, and he's like, "Oh my God, Lucius Malfoy! I can't believe it's you!" And <laughs> then, then McGonagall walks in, and she's like, "What the hell are you saying?" Oh yeah, <laughs> they're like, "Jesus Christ!" And then it's it also funny because then Madame Melkin, the uh, robe shop owner, who McGonagall was assured was unflappable, collapses in laughter yeah, when she asks, "Like, what the hell happened?" And um, you know, Harry is like, "I can explain." She's like, "No, don't explain. I." You know, whatever dark power that inhabits you is contagious, and I don't want to end up like poor Draco Malfoy <laughs> or her or Madame Balkan or her assistants. Like, I'm sure if you tell me what happened, I'll lose my mind. 
uh, other than that, oh yeah, it turns out I guess she was gone for six minutes and he managed to completely, you know, oh, yeah. flip everyone. Oh yeah, out, does she so. show she's like she like walks in like carrying a glass of wine or something? I think she like spills it. Yeah, and it's just like that image of like you know Maggie Smith with like a glass of wine. And, oh man, like she just crawled out of the bar. Yeah, this this had me laughing a lot, and I think that it it flowed a lot better. And like like we talked about a little earlier, it gave us some new depth to to Harry as far as like okay, cool, he's witty and funny too, so this won't just be. Yeah. A, a smart asshole twist and yeah. we're gonna get more and i like like this is where it's starting to take off where you like any kind of book where like this character becomes its own real person and so that that feels like this is where it's starting with harry like oh we're starting to see whatever this is gonna be this is this is this other harry is starting to kind of form and that was kind of cool cool yeah i think so um and then other than that um yeah we only covered through chapter five and we didn't talk about how far we're going next. I know the next chapters are longer than the first few. Um, yeah, it looks like, yeah, the, the next two, I looked at it, so I think chapter six is almost as long as these first five chapters, but not quite. Oh, wow. And then chapter seven is really long. You want to do just chapter six, or you want to do six and seven for next one? Uh, uh, let's see. Um, well, so definitely at least six. Uh, let's see if how much happens in six. Maybe if it's just a lot of kind of plot advancement, then we can do both. Okay. Yeah, we'll do at least through six. Um, it does, I, I don't want to read right now, but um, the downside is I want to be able to, you know what, we'll put it in the show notes. How's that sound? So when this airs, you'll be able to see in the show notes for the episode which episodes we're covering next time. So if, yeah. you're, if you're reading along with Brian for the first time, or if you're rereading it, um, you'll know what we're covering in the next chapter or in the next episode before it actually comes out. So cool. So yeah, that's it, man. Cool. Any other, uh, did it. I guess the other things to cover here, um, briefly, your, I guess we sort of did, did this throughout, but you know, your summary of how you're feeling about the book so far. And I'm curious if you have any, like, it might be too early to start putting together a prediction flow chart. Although you did have one in the show notes here. Um, I guess so, that there's something significant to the 20th. I mean, I, I, we're not even at the point where I even know that there's anything to be predicting. No, but um, you called something out when he was being pedantic yeah. about the uh, the money, and you're like, I bet he's going to complain about, you know, Quidditch or something. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, I, t- I totally called that then, didn't I? Only because, well, yeah, if you're going to complain about galleons, then the obvious one is that the scoring of, of Quidditch, where you basically win just by catching the snitch, is stupid. And I'm, um, I'm not going to spoil whether or not he does complain about that, but I will say that I agree that that does like that's not a fun game the way that it was designed the 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 quidditch was designed i think in the canon version so that harry could be the most important player on the team right Mm -hmm. it wasn't designed with like this makes sense for a game and i think they talk about that like in the fourth book when they go to that quidditch world cup and it's like no sometimes you know the people other people score a lot of points and it gets close but it's like it never gets that close 150 points is is 10 10 uh quaffles right Mm -hmm. so um goals jeez all right so yeah that's i think it, that i've got for this episode any final thoughts or any things from you no i'm really curious to see where this goes awesome so. well sounds like a plan and uh right. thanks for listening we don't have uh outro planned yet so um oh i guess i will plug and we'll put a thing in the show notes um we could we're, i'm reading this at hpmr.com um it's on fanfiction.net there's mobile or like a uh, kindle versions available um there's also an audiobook done by our mutual friend Inyash Brodsky um, in podcast form, so you can listen along if you like reading with your ears. So I do a lot of I, I do less audiobooks than I do podcasts, but I am in transit a lot, especially during the workday. So um, and reading on the train is kind of jarring, and sometimes you 
you know, it's yeah. too crowded to hold your phone. So I do a lot of listening to stuff. So anyway, that's that. Cool. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody.